So I'm sure I don't have to, to tell you that one of the realities of our a modern, fast-paced world is stress. Family stress, work stress, health-related stress, political stress, financial stress, you name it, and you can become stressed out by it. I mean, we often hear folks say things like, well, well don't mind him, he's, he's just stressed out. Or, or we tell our kids, hey, don't, don't bother daddy today, he's had a very stressful day. Uh, and oftentimes, even when we go to the doctor about our physical ailments that we're experiencing, the physician will look at us and say, you're just under too much stress. Uh, and it's the kind of thing that, that can manifest itself in, in peptic ulcers and high blood pressure and certain kinds of strokes, migraine headaches, all of which are listed in the journals of medicine as illnesses that can be produced by stress and by our response to it. And despite the volumes that have been written about it and the amount of research that's been put into its study, one author still noted, he said, few subjects have produced more rhetoric and less remedy than stress. He says when solutions are offered, they're often way too simplistic and just kind of patch over the cracks, but never actually heal the wound. Uh, and so we're told to relax, slow down, stay out of stress-producing situations. Try to avoid stressful people. Good luck. <laughs> we're told to get more exercise, balance our diet, drink less caffeine, and the list of these temporary remedies grows longer and longer every day. As people struggle to find some real answer for the very real stresses of life, and it almost makes you wonder who to listen to, and if anybody can really help. And the same thing can be true often when people approach the scriptures for help. We might wonder, uh, hey, you know, the, the Bible is written thousands of years ago in a vastly different culture from the one we're in. Could it have much to say about how to deal with our daily anxieties in the 21st century? But then you come to, like we're going to see today, to the teachings of our Lord in the Gospels, particularly in the ones that contain what theologians call the hard sayings of Jesus. And you realize that the times and places may be different, uh, but the ups and downs of life for humanity in general, and for believers in particular, and Fred said this in Sunday school, are just the same old things, only they're happening to brand new people. Right? Same old things, only now they're happening to brand new people. And you're going to actually see that today in our gospel reading from Matthew chapter 10, which lays out in the space of one very short sermon some of the most challenging pronouncements that our Lord Jesus ever made, along with some of his greatest words of comfort. And both of those, both spoken into the lives of men and women who are trying to live their life in the midst of a world that not only posed some very serious dangers to their health and well-being, but one that was actively hostile to their flesh and faith. And if you remember, I said we're, we're kind of straight outside the lines of the lectionary right now because I, uh, I uh, preached all, all four of those lectionary lessons in one sermon. So uh, until we get back to it, today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 16. And this is what Matthew says, as Jesus speaking. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts, flog you in their synagogues. 
You'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house to be eligible, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, Rather, fear of him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And not two sparrows sold for a penny. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And continue in verse 38. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord's first day. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these very hard sayings. We thank you for the midst of that great, great comfort that you give right in the midst of it. And so, Lord, uh, it's almost like a, a lived-out parable of our modern-day lives. I mean, we're living uh, lives in peace because of you and yet surrounded by dangers. And so, Lord, we ask that you would uh, take these, these brief moments that we have together, that you would continue to keep our hearts and minds and thoughts in peace. Uh, help us to set aside all the concerns of the outside world. Uh, and, Father, we want to see Jesus. And so we ask you to open this word to us in his by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Do you know that uh, that section that we read almost sounds like advice that could have been written yesterday, doesn't it? And, and I think in many ways it's kind of a comfort. Uh, a comfort knowing that the stress we feel and the fears that we face uh, are, are just a part of the universal experience of humanity. An experience that we can share with those early disciples who heard these words of our Lord firsthand on the day that he preached this message. Folks who then shared those words on down through successive generations of men and women who have lived every conceivable pain or sorrow or sickness that we might ever experience. But more than that, I think more than just knowing that we have folks in every era to commiserate with, as helpful as that sometimes is, is the realization that there is an answer. There is an answer that may not address every single issue of why a certain specific thing happens in the way it does, but an answer that does show us the how to deal with the ups and downs of this world. Uh, and of how those very things that we so desperately want to avoid 
may actually be preparing us for whatever God has in store for us next. No, no matter what the world throws at us. And that answer is this. That brothers and sisters, our Lord Jesus didn't just give us an impossible dream to strive for and a pat on the head and send us off with some vague hope of a, a heavenly home in the sweet by and by if we're all good little boys and girls. But rather, he left us with an active work to do for the advancement of his kingdom. And he sets us off on a real-world adventure, complete with dangers to face and battles to brave, and a hand in the ultimate defeat of a very real dragon that constantly seeks to devour us. And it's in the midst of all of that that Jesus answers our anxieties and our fears by guaranteeing us the peace and the power to accomplish every task that he assigns. Not all on our own, not in our own strength, but in the overarching plan of his sovereign purpose and inside the boundaries of his superintendent will. Which really is a, is a subject that's actually right at the core of our reformed and congregational beliefs, that, that superintending sovereignty of God over all of life. And we've, we've touched on that before a few times. But I think especially in days like these, it's important to know what we believe and why we believe it. Particularly when it comes to determining uh, whether the things we see going on all around us are just an unconnected series of random events happening for no particular reason uh, to creatures that are themselves nothing more than a cosmic accident, or whether there's a master plan to this universe and to its trajectory which, of course, means that there must be a master designer behind it all. And, and, and what I mean by that, basically, is that it's the difference between sitting at home thinking, am I trapped in faith, or am I being trained in the school of God's providence by the things that I experience? And then, uh, for some, that word, that word providence may be a word you've heard tossed around before, uh, different kinds of ways, but maybe never knew exactly what to make of it or, or what it meant. So just for context, the, Dictionary definition of providence is this. It's the governance of God by which he with wisdom and love cares for and directs all things in the universe. John Calvin said that providence is the great security in life and is the highest blessedness lies in the knowledge of it. And he said for the Christian, our solace is to know that our Heavenly Father so holds all things in his power, so rules by his authority and will, and so governed by his wisdom that nothing can befall us except he determined. Our Lord Jesus affirmed that same truth today when he told the crowd in Matthew 10 and said this morning, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And, and I think maybe we've kind of heard that line so much we don't really listen to it anymore. But there's a whole lot of truth packed into those little verses that we find tucked in the middle of what honestly were some pretty hard truths that Jesus wanted to impart to his audience. And so I want us to think about it for a minute, about what it means, the fact that Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. You know what that means? For one thing, it means at times sparrows are still going to fall to the ground. So don't get too surprised if that happens. Difficulties are going to come. Uh, troubles are going to catch up to us from time to time. Some sparrows are still going to fall to the ground. 
but not without the permission of their creator. Amen. And it means, too, that by God's permissive will, he often allows things to take their course, but church, they don't ever take him by surprise. And at the same time, it means if he is so sovereignly involved in the life cycle of a sparrow that he is profoundly involved in the circumstances of life that we face. Whether we're sick or well, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're currently happy or sad, we can be assured that the fatherly providence of God has permitted whatever he has permitted, and that he's done so for our good and for his ultimate glory. Amen. And then one day, he'll make it clear to us why. And I don't, I don't exactly know, you know, how all of you are feeling this morning, but it occurred to me while I was putting this together, writing this message, it might just be for Vicki and me. Uh, because we have a few things going on right now that don't feel particularly providential. Uh, and that's not a new experience. We just went through a stretch of seven days that saw two funerals. There are several people, as I mentioned, that we really, really love who are really very sick right now. The nightly news offers nothing in the way of any kind of hope for a return to a world that we would have known as normal. Uh, and it can all get pretty overwhelming. But if you start going down the rabbit holes of how come and why, you might just drive yourself crazy and end up even more stressed out and scared than when you started. But church, the good news is that Jesus' sermon today speaks to exactly those same kind of feelings. And maybe surprisingly, this may have surprised you, he tells us not to stop being afraid, but rather to focus our fear in the right direction. He didn't tell us not to be afraid, but he told us to focus our fear in the right direction. And so he said, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. When I tell you in the dark, say in the light, what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body. Amen. And some of you may be thinking right now, well, Pastor, that sounds great for a theological discourse, but it doesn't make me feel really any better about what I'm going through right this moment. Uh, or you may be thinking, hey, uh, Pastor Joe, with advice like that, I, don't, I hope I don't find myself in need of any comfort from you next week. Right? <laughs> or, or, or you may be thinking, hey, I, you know, I'm doing okay right now, but... You know, I was really looking for you to give me a more helpful word that I could speak to someone that I know is in need of encouragement. But how am I supposed to take a message like that into the world and share that kind of mixed up message? But church, Jesus is not sending a mixed message to his disciples or to us. He's not saying, be afraid on one hand and don't be afraid on the other hand. Instead, he's putting the things that make us afraid into perspective. Right? He's saying, guys, it's natural to be scared of pain and to be scared of persecution and to be afraid of the prospect of physical death. But there's something scarier out there than all of those things. Something that it makes more common sense to be afraid of. Something that, that common sense dictates it's smarter to be afraid of. Something, or rather I should say someone, that is worthy of our ultimate fear and that is our Heavenly Father. Just as Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Which is understanding uh, of how and when to exercise the wisdom of well-placed fear. And that good kind of fear begins when we see the Lord for who He is. Amen. 
and would we recognize his absolute sovereignty over all the other circumstances of life. Amen. All those circumstances that keep us feeling scared and anxious and stressed out all the time. Because without that, without the fear of the Lord, we run the very real risk of making foolish decisions based on our faulty human understanding of our circumstances instead of on the faith that we profess. That's exactly why the sentence just prior to Jesus' promise of the sparrow or protection service that he said, and I'm just read it, but it bears repeating. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. But church, I'm sad to say that many people must have either never read that verse or maybe have read it but just frankly don't believe it. Because there are a whole bunch of people that I talk to every week who are terrified to die. Hmm. People who lose heart over one word from Dr. Fauci or one report from the CDC or one release from the White House press corps. Now, now don't mishear me, I'm not looking to kill myself. I, I'm, not, I'm not advocating for rejecting sound medical advice. I'm not going around touching every surface I can find and then lick my fingers. Uh, and I'm not going to stand still long enough for people to cough on me until I get COVID. And I hope you guys don't do any of that stuff either. But church, if we really receive the message that's sent out from this pulpit every Sunday, and if we truly believe the sound theology and all those great hymns that we love to sing, and if we honestly knew in our heart of hearts that we really have a saving knowledge of the Lord we profess, what are we so afraid of? What are we so afraid of? What, that we'd actually finally reach the heavenly goal we claim to be striving for? What, that, that we'd end up in the presence of the one who loved us enough that he paid for our sin debt with his life? What, that we'd finally be freed from these failing physical frames and be one step closer to our future perfected state? Because, guys, just in case no one ever told you this before, brothers and sisters, there's a 100% chance that you are going to die. So you better be ready. Nobody is getting out of this world alive. Unless, of course, the Lord returns and then you're still in for quite a dramatic change. So the question that leaves us is, are you going to live the rest of your life afraid of whatever it is that's finally going to get you? Or are you going to fear the only one who can save you after the medical professionals tell your family, we're very sorry we did everything we could? going to live in a paralyzing, fatalistic fear of the inevitable end of your physical life? Or are you going to have a holy fear of the one who the Bible says holds the keys of hell and death? A healthy fear that fuels the motivation to flee temptation and to stop living in willful sin and that makes you stop rationalizing your disobedience to the law of God by telling yourself it's not all that dangerous to flout God's commandments. Or that our personal choices don't matter in the sight of heaven. And that, brothers and sisters, that type of holy fear is not stifling. It's not debilitating. It's not destructive of our joy. But instead it moves us to cling closer to Christ. So with the Holy Spirit's help, we can say, as in 1 John 2, 28, that we can abide in him so that when he appears, when Christ appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in fear and shame at his coming. Knowing that God has a good and eternal purpose for us and that no matter what comes against us, that the righteous will never be moved. And not because we're righteous in ourselves, 
but because we have the imparted righteousness of Jesus Christ who said in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but to your heart I have overcome the world. And you see, he's not saying that you may have tribulations or that you could have tribulations, but that you will have them. And when you do, the right kind of fear will lead you to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And will lead you to look away from yourself. And lead you to look away from your fears and from your failures and from your own personal opinions and all of your own attempted good works to save yourself. And to look exclusively to the Lord Jesus Christ and his divine authority and his resurrection power. And church, we do that through the means of reading God's word. And we do that in hearing it publicly preached. And we do that in divine worship and in the right administration of the sacraments. All those humble and ordinary means of grace. Because you see, that's where fear recedes and where faith takes form. So that you don't have to sit around and worry what's going to happen next. Because we will then finally understand that God's answer to fear is not a plan or a program or a helpful piece of advice. But church, God's answer to fear is a person. It is the person and work of Jesus Christ. The perfect, sinless Son of God on the cross of Calvary. And that great exchange accomplished there where the worst about us was unfairly laid on Him. And the best about Him is now graciously laid on us. Making us free from fear. Making us confident in the fact that we can step boldly and confidently into the future with hearts and minds at ease. So we do that today. Because church life is way too scary to live without it. And life is too short for us to keep trying to live out some kind of hallmark version of the Christian faith. Because if we want real power to calm our fears, we've got to look back at the cross. And we've got to pick it up. And we've got to let it hurt our pride. We've got to let it pierce our conscience. And we've got to let it kill our love of sinning. And make us quit running around trying to figure out how we can find more and more avenues to cheat death and cling to this life. And start living for the kingdom. And living for each other. And living for the honor of our Lord and of his Christ. And stop denying him by what we do and by what we say and by what we fear. And start really living Really living the resurrection life that Christ came to bring, not just for a few today's that we exist in, but for eternity. Amen. Amen. God, our Father, we thank you that because Jesus was willing to face the fear and, and, and death and, and hell in that cup that night in Gethsemane, he said, Father, please let this cup pass. Uh, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We thank you that he was willing to face all that, Lord, so we'd never have to. And so Lord, we ask that uh, you would confirm that peace and that safety and that, uh, that resurrection power into our lives. Father, if there's even one under the sound of my voice that doesn't know that hope, I ask Lord, that you would surprise them by the power of your presence, that uh, you would overcome their fear and their resistance, that you would drop the scales from their eyes and stoppers from their ears. And Lord, let your Holy Spirit bring revival not only to this church, but to this city. We would live, Father, in the holy country of the one who killed body and soul in hell, knowing that we have faith in Jesus Christ who conquered both. And so we thank you for the service, for your love, and for all that you're about to do in through us this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.